You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 321 of Podcateers. I'm super excited about this week's episode because I had the opportunity and pleasure of chatting with Josh Shipley. Josh worked at Walt Disney Imagineering for 21 years before embarking on a new journey to help develop and run Evermore Park for a couple of years as their chief creative officer. He shares stories about his path to becoming an Imagineer and why everyone's path is different. He shares his personal thoughts about attraction design and where attractions might be headed in the future. He talks about his mentors at WDI and just so much more. So quick shout out and a huge thanks to Josh for being so generous with his time. Uh, I had a lot of fun and learned a lot in the time that I had available with him. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode or if you learned something, make sure to join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. And while you're there, I hope you take a moment to give Josh a quick shout out as well. He's at Shipleyland. Before we jump into the episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this episode of Podcateers is brought to you in part by the generosity of the FGP Squad, our podcast fairy godparents, through their support via Patreon. If you would like more info on becoming part of the FGP Squad family, you can find out more at podcateers.com FGP. And to all of the members of the FGP Squad, as always, we want to send a huge thank you for all of your continued support. Are you ready? All right, let's do this. Once again, a huge thanks to Josh for his time. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed chatting with him. Here is episode 321 of Podcateers. So, I mean, I have to ask, since you're in quarantine right now, I know you're a gamer. Have you had a chance to to flex those thumbs on, on a console or anything? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. I mean, I, I, I want nothing, uh, nothing too ambitious, I should say. I mean, I've spent a lot of time just revisiting the things that I already enjoy. Um, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 seems to take up a lot of my time because I can... I can actually relax in that game. I can hop on a horse and ride around. It can be scenic and nice. I actually went into um, it's it's online mode, which isn't I'm not a big fan of uh, mm-hmm. for online play in general, and uh, just because I'm not competitive in that way. And so I went on the other day uh, just to because a buddy of mine said, "No, they've really like uh, done a lot of great things with Red Dead Redemption Two, and you should go on there." I go in immediately. I get like shot twice by you know a, a no name, and I'm like. Why am I doing this? This isn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. We um we've been in the process of trying to set up a Twitch channel. I'm not a Twitch channel. Um, a Discord server. Okay, cool. So yeah. So that you know our listeners can go chat with each other. I can do some live streaming and stuff. And I figured, you know what? There's a lot of old Disney games that we have on the old systems. I just plugged that thing in. I went and I got one of those USB to HDMI adapters and a bunch of converters. I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is great. And I played Mario 64 for the first time a week ago. And man, I suck. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. I, I don't do online play. The last console we purchased was a PS3. My kids are the ones that take full advantage of it. I bought it because we needed a Blu-ray player. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, the last like active, active game that I played was I got super obsessed with Dance Dance Revolution to the point where I was like modding my PS1 and my PS2 so that I played all the Japan discs. And seriously, like, it, wow, it was great. I love it. I bought the pads and everything. Ah, I'm kind of get. I'm trying to get my kids into it because I know they would love it. But ah, I know I would get addicted to it. I have an addictive nature. So when something like that, hey, comes but that's up, a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it did me a lot of good health wise when I was playing it, you know, when I was younger. Yeah, maybe it is something I should get addicted to again. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's not a bad part about that. You know, exercise yeah. in a fun way. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess we should jump into the whole Disney stuff yep. then. Yeah, right? I'm going to let you just guide whatever you want to talk about. And... Uh, before we go on then, I guess we should do a formal introduction here. Uh, I'm super excited about today's episode because I have the privilege of sitting with Josh Shipley. Josh got his start working at Walt Disney World and worked his way up to hold the coveted title of Disney Imagineer before transitioning to becoming the chief creative officer at Evermore Park for a couple of years. Josh, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for the invite. Yeah, how, how, how are you doing in general? How's life treating you, staying at home, not being able to look at other people the wrong way and touch <laughs> them and all that good stuff? Well, if you want the sunshine and lollipops type of version, I'm gonna say, you know what, things are great, love it. If you want the honest version, I'm gonna tell you, man, I'm so bored. Right. <laughs> right <there with> you. <laughs> yeah, I I try to preach positivity as much as possible, but whoo, man, yep. I I just want to be able to go out and buy an ice cream and not fear for my life. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, it's been it's been quite an interesting uh, new avenue. I I mean, not to derail right off the bat, but kind of on those lines, I, I had a short back and forth with another imaginary yesterday, Eddie Sato. He's been publishing. Um, a lot of opinions and ideas of, of how we need to be moving forward through all of this and how to engage the audiences. Um, and uh, I, I think he's on the right track because, I mean, you, you just said, you know, preaching positivity. There, there's a lot about the industry, Disney, theme parks, all theme parks in general, which is about positivity and optimism and being happy and, and, and sharing a, a positive experience with other people. And um, I think we are all craving that. We all want to get back to, mm-hmm. you know, being able to have a communal positive experience with one another again yeah i mean i i can only imagine what cast members feel like because i know that there's a huge subset of cast members that get into it because they want to be able to provide the magic for other people there's others Mm -hmm. that just want the feather on their cap saying i've been you know a cast member and there's others that just straight up need a job and it's one of the things that's available to them and they take it right and then they can bring it to their friends that they have a job at disneyland but it's that subset that really truly wants to provide the magic that I would assume is just going bonkers right now because, yes. you know, they, they can't do it. Yeah, there. I mean, oh man, again, this goes into another like almost a psychological type of thing. But uh, for those that are involved in entertainment on all levels, I mean, it can be, you know, a ticket taker at a, at a theme park because that is a form of uh, an extension of entertainment. That, it, that is part of it all the way up to, you know, somebody who's on a Broadway stage or on uh, the big screen in a, in a huge blockbuster, you know, hit. There is, there is a certain level of being in entertainment that, there, you know, there's, there's the endorphin release of knowing that, you know, 
you're providing something that's cheering people up. And I'm not saying that every single person in the world who's involved in entertainment has that, but, but what I'm saying is, you know, when you're, when you're in that capacity and you're taking that ticket at the front gate and you're welcoming somebody in, I mean, it's, it's a positive, you know, uh, emotional feeling that you have. And it is addictive to the point where it's like, you want to be involved in something that continues to, uh, you know, provide that level of excitement and, and fun for people. So kind of what you were, you were saying, you know, it is hard, I think, for all of us in those fields, in all the levels, not being able to actively step out and provide that entertainment of happiness and, and joy right now, because it's, it's a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's fun to make people happy. Yeah. And I, I, on a certain level, you know, I've talked about this uh, to our listeners in the past that before I was at the job that I'm at now, um, which has nothing to do with the entertainment industry. Um, but the job before that, I, I managed the production facility. And honestly, I got up super early. I drove and started 5 a.m. I was in traffic a minimum of five hours a day. And I felt like my creativity was dying. I, I've, I've always drawn a lot. I love to sing. I, you know, I love to edit videos and, you know, take photos and edit my photos. But man, I didn't have time for it. And I just felt like my creativity was dying. And I fell in love with podcasting and audiobooks. And I thought, man, I know how to talk. I could do this podcasting too. Excellent. I, I have opinions. I'll shoot them out into the world. <laughs> uh, and I did. And six years later, you know, here we are. And it's crazy because I get messages from people all the time saying exactly what you just said, saying, you know, your podcast brought a, brought a smile to my face. Thank you for, you know, talking about this. It It's giving me my Disney fix while we're not able to go to the parks. But mm -hmm. I mean, in all honesty, as much as it helps them, it also helps me. It's, it's a therapeutic process for me too, because it yeah. is releasing those endorphins and it is putting me in a, in a mind state of, you know what, the world will recover. The world can still be positive. Let's put it out there. Let's do it. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Because obviously nobody at five years old is thinking to themselves, well, I'm going to be an Imagineer. I can, I can tell you what I didn't want to be. What's that? And only because it's timely right now in, in the year where I did not want to be the president. <laughs> and and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that to make this a political conversation. That's not my intent. What I'm telling you is, even at a very young age, I didn't look at something like that and go, when I grow up, I want to be, no, -uh. no way that even as a young kid is like, that looks like a horrible job. Mm -hmm. um, no, it was, it was creative. You know, uh, our family grew up running a, a, a live stage theater. So theater has always been a, a part of my life. And, and at a young age, I always thought that was going to be it. I, I wanted to grow up and be a director. You know, my dad's a director, my mom's a performer and they're both performers, but in, in a young mind, it was like, okay, I'm going to grow up and be a director. Uh, and then as you get older, you know, that, that evolves and it starts to get more complicated and there's more nuances to it. And, uh, uh I would say by, you know, young teenage years, I mean, young meaning, you know, 11 or 12 is when I started thinking, you know, theme park development design. I didn't know that I would not necessarily be taking over the family business, so to speak, but the, the intrigue of there being a design aspect to theme parks. I mean, that's started to sound like a lot of fun. Um, there's not really a trajectory for that. You know, it's more of, of the, you know, you wish upon a star and, and you hope that your dreams come true type of a thing. 
you, you know, if you want to be an animator, there are, there are certain paths you can, you can take, you can aspire to, you can look at certain uh, colleges and courses and, and uh, that doesn't quite exist for, for theme parks. Theme parks are a bit of an anomaly and it's a, it's a, you know, hard structure with with engineers and architects and artists and customers. I mean, there's all these things. And all of a sudden I'm like, hey, wait a minute. It's sort of like a theater. Yeah. So it started to make sense for me that I could turn uh, the uh, my, my school of hard knocks growing up uh, in a family theater into uh, um, something that would apply within the Disney theme park realm, Disney specifically. Um, and then as the, the world has continued to evolve in other forms of themed entertainment, you've started to see, you know, knots developing amazing uh, themed attractions and Universal and uh, Cedar Fair. And it's no longer, you know, just the, you know, hey, what is the iconic Disney doing? You start to take notice of, of uh, Efteling and Poudifo uh, and, you know, all these different things. Yeah. You're like, wow, the landscape of themed entertainment is massive and broad and is exciting and uh, and fortunately, I was able to, you know, find a, a way to to get my foot in the door and become a part of that world. And um, it's it's uh, it's exciting. It's fun. It's rewarding. It's uh, it's brutal. It's punishing. It's you know, it's all of these things. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's something that that I have found amongst those that have ended up being my mentors over the years uh, in this capacity is uh, if you, if you love it and sort of like what we were talking about a little bit earlier, if you, if you really find joy in making others happy, uh, then the hard work that it takes in, in there is ends up being worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with all of the hard work being worth it because I think when it comes to stuff like this, for instance, this isn't my primary job by any means, but I love it. It brings me joy. Mm -hmm. It brings others joy. And I mean, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can, you know, and if at any point it did become something profitable or if I could pivot into something that became a business, I would totally do it because I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the media sure. production side of it and I enjoy what it does for other people. So I, I completely well, understand what you're saying. Well, kind of on those lines, that that same mentality is kind of what helped me at Imagineering in finding my footing within my first year there. This is back in 1996. It was um, more of a hobby. I mean, Theater's always been a hobby, but another side of the hobby that started to like become very fascinating and interesting to me was computers mm -hmm. and Photoshop was interesting and audio editing and video editing and all those kind of things were, but, but none of that from a, from a, you know, I, I don't know where to structure this in my life. I'm just interested in it. Yeah. And those were my hobbies at home. And all of a sudden within that first year, um, I had opportunities within the show production division at Walt Disney Imagineering to apply those things because it was new and unexplored and there weren't a lot of people that spoke that language. And I spoke it at least on a fan level of being able to say, I, I use Photoshop and I enjoy, you know, how it's, how it exists and all those kind of things. And it became opportunity. And all of a sudden my career was being developed around the fact that, um, I knew how to even, you know, open and operate Photoshop and, and then Illustrator and Premiere and Final Cut Pro and, you know, all these kind of things continued to build and expand. But all of that came from a place of, of, of hobby initially. Yeah. And it's not, it, it's not what I expected. It's not the path I expected. But at the same time, I'm glad that I 
was at least prepared from an interest level to embrace it when it came along. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because in this week's episode of the podcast, uh, I was talking to our friends that, uh, about how I had recently found an old hard drive with some archive videos, and they're horrible. Like, they're poorly <laughs> edited, but, you know, I I could feel the energy of how I felt at the time that I was doing it, and that's kind yeah. of led me to the point now where it's not my primary job, you know, where I work, but I put together a lot of promo stuff for, I work in the philanthropy department. So I put a lot of graphics and posters. Uh, I've, I do these videos for these all staff meetings that we have twice a year. And they turn into these mini productions where, I mean, I don't sleep for a week and I love yeah, it. I, I don't even care. I just absolutely yeah. love it. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I laugh because I, I tell my wife and said, you know, whenever I get really, really deep into a, a Photoshop project, the kind that you're referring to where, you know, you're not sleeping and, and you know, you're just really invested into it. I said, uh, a, a reoccurring thing that happens to me is my alarm will go off in the morning and I dream about trying to turn off layers to figure out which one <laughs> is the alarm. I'm like, that's when I know that I'm like really hardcore into a project. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Dreaming in layers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cool. Um, 96. That's Photoshop 2 or 3.2. Two. Two? Yeah, man, yeah. that's early on. That's cool. Yeah. And, and again, it was purely just hobby. You know, I didn't. I mean, I, I still to this day don't consider myself any level of professional in the field, and and it, which makes me laugh anytime somebody would come in and say, "I'm a professional at Photoshop." I'd kind of laugh and I'd go, that, "That there's no such thing. Yeah, no. You can be really good at it, but believe me, there's uh, yeah. you need some humility if you think you're a pro." It, it's kind of how I feel about <laughs> photography. Like I've I've uh, worked really hard at trying to master the craft of photography and getting really good at editing my photographs to what I now consider my style of photography. But oh, there's yeah. a lot of people that always shoot that phrase at me. They're like, well, I'm a professional. It's like, oh, well, how much income do you make from your profession? Um, <laughs> well, nothing right now. It's like, then you're not a professional. Right. Being a professional <laughs> means that you're actually living off of your profession. And it, right yeah. now you're just a hobbyist, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's so funny. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. So did you read a book or something? Or what was it when you were a teenager that finally clicked uh, about there was this subdivision of Disney, you know, called Imagineering? I, I actually do not remember the first time that that light bulb went on over my head. So just tracking back, uh, you know, over the years and, and whatnot, it had to have been, you know, uh, well, going to the park a lot. I mean, I grew up uh, very close to Anaheim, oh, cool. and so it was at Disneyland a lot. But the the, the term Imagineer didn't necessarily uh, get bantered about. And I mean, even at that point, you know, it's Wed Enterprises, not Walt Disney Imagineering. And um, so I don't know at what point in time I was fully aware of that, but I do know that uh, I continued to follow up and pursue whenever there was anything, uh, whether it be eventually Disney Channel or you know, the uh, Disney News, Disney Magazine that, you know, goes back to uh, Magic Kingdom Club days and things like that. So anytime that there was there was a, an article or anything like that or, 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 you know, Bob Thomas's book on Walt Disney and all these kind of things, anytime that there was something in there that would speak about the theme park side of it, um, I would latch on to it and and just devour it because it was interesting to me. It was it was tactile you know is a place that i knew disneyland uh walt disney world uh, slash magic kingdom and epcot in those early days for sure 
you know, was, was far away. It wasn't something that I really uh, could grasp as a kid as something I'd get to see. Um, but, but Disneyland, I was so very familiar with. So again, I don't know what it was that first got my attention on that level other than just being there constantly. And then uh, uh, I, I wish I actually knew like when was that first day that I saw the word or heard the word Imagineer. Um, but uh, I just don't have any memory of when that was in my life. It's just something that was interesting at whatever point. So. Well, it happened at some point and we're glad that it did. How about we, we <laughs> sit with that? Uh, yeah, I joke all the time. Um, I don't even know if he knows that I say this about him, but I joke that I blame Jeff Bam and DoomBuggies.com for creating the monster you see before you because <laughs> it was jumping into that website that led me down the rabbit hole and finding out what that word was because I didn't grow up going to Disneyland when I was younger. So mm -hmm. that's really what sparked it for me. And well, and the, the beauty of what Jeff uh, did, especially with Doom Buggies, was you know embracing the the technology of what was early uh internet mm -hmm. i mean internet's still early as far as i'm concerned but still to the the point of like devoting a site with a clever name around uh, a certain park ip that has a big fan base um you know it, it wasn't you know the the big giant you know disneyland it was right down to haunted mm -hmm. mansion and you're like it's like wow you know, early on getting to focus a fan centric type of uh, mentality towards a website. I'm, I, uh, always loved what what he's done with doom buggies he, so. he brought the the world of alt news groups and bbs's straight uh -huh. to aol because you had mail <laughs> that's right <laughs> totally did yep that's awesome <laughs> yeah it's interesting because i think back on on people like uh like kim irvine or uh like chris crump for instance like they they saw this stuff early on. So they they yeah. had this door wide open into what Imagineering was. And maybe they didn't know what the term was, but they knew their parents worked on the parks and they knew that they were doing, you know, these special mm -hmm. things that people could go see. So I'm always interested to know when it is people just had that spark. Yeah, I I mean, I've, I've had those little kind of conversations with, with both of those people, with Kim and Chris, but something that I thought was interesting that Chris talked about, uh, it was around the time we we did a um, comic book series for Marvel, it was Disney Kingdoms, and the first one we did was based on Museum of the Weird. Yeah, Seekers. You know, which was his, yeah, which was Seekers of the Weird, uh, but Museum of the Weird being, you know, his dad, Rolly's, uh, you know, pride and joy at one point in time at WED. But uh, um, I remember having a brief conversation with Chris at one point about the fact that, uh, and, and again, I, I can only paraphrase his own words and the sentiments, but it was uh, that, you know, he, he didn't necessarily grow up uh, um, seeing what the, um, the allure was, so to speak. You know, it was, you know, dad has his work and he and Chris eventually went into, uh, you know, imaginary as well, but uh, it, he didn't necessarily comprehend it so so much because it was it was so normal um mm -hmm. around his his life and his existence and uh and the reason he was telling me is because he said he went and supported his dad at a haunted mansion event probably probably at the park i'm guessing um and seeing the level of fandom that existed with uh the guests that were there for the event in what they were wearing cosplay um the merchandise that was on sale the you know just the, the fandom over the audio. And he, he said it was, uh, it, it was a little eye-opening 
but he also understood it. He what he understood was the energy. Oh, he was okay. he was there with the crowd and he was saying, wow, OK, um, something that he had grown up with being so common and normal around him. He hadn't necessarily uh, been in the environment like that before. And all of a sudden he's like, wow, I, I think I get what people are loving about all of this. It's not that he didn't love it. He just it was just too it was just too common. Interesting. That that's yeah. an interesting way to approach that. And I've actually heard you talk about the importance of cast members working in the park and understanding the logistics of attractions, mm -hmm. loading, unloading, you know, yep. and, and I think that might speak to that as well. Right. Because if yeah. you end up wanting to be an Imagineer at some point, you have to understand all of that so that you know how to cater to future guests. Yeah. No, I mean, but the thing is, I, I have to stand in my opinion corner on that one because that is my observations. And I also come from that school of being in an ops side and knowing how that benefited. The reason I have mm -hmm. to make that, uh, you know, my own, because that's not necessarily a, a, con a company sentiment by any means. It's, you know, it, it, especially at Imagineering, if, if you have this license, uh, you know, engineering, architects, all those kind of things, and you're right for the project and you're the best one, you know, you're going to get hired and they're not going to say, uh, but did you ever work as a sweeper at Disneyland at any point? You know, it's not important in terms of the hiring process, but it is important in terms of being able to relate to and understand your audience. Um, and uh, some of my, uh, I say colleagues, I, I'm, I'm debating back and forth, but they are friends, uh, one in the same. We, put together a program um, called <clears throat> Walk and Waltz or Walk and Guest Footsteps. And the idea was to take Imagineers down to the park to have a guest day. And uh, it, it was fun. I mean, we would start in Glendale early in the morning. We'd all get in a van together. We'd all drive down. We'd sit in traffic from Glendale to Anaheim. We'd wait for Mickey and Friends parking line. We'd pay to, you know, there to, to park. We'd wait for the trams. We'd go through the turnstiles. We'd go through that entire process of a day because, you you do tend to take it for granted at times that, wait a minute, our guests just spent maybe 90 minutes from the point of exiting the freeway to getting into the front uh, Mickey floral. And, you know, why isn't dad, you know, as happy as he should be? Well, because for him, he just spent, you know, X amount of money and 90 minutes was really difficult and hard on dad to get to that point and so we really wanted to introduce to um, to our fellow Imagineers, you know, a, a way to to stand in in those guest shoes and perceive what it's like to go through those things. And it wasn't that we intentionally wanted negatives. That's by no means what we wanted. But we did want common things. We wanted them to understand what it was like to have to wait in that line just to get through uh, a, a security checkpoint instead of, you know, showing up for your meeting and having a different access point. You know, we wanted to, to really uh, illustrate what it was like to do that. We would have uh, time uh, set aside for, for lunch. You know, at this time, you know, you're not going to go off site to, you know, someplace that is less crowded. You're going to, you know, hit up lunch right about at the time that all these guests are also craving a meal. And what's it like to go in and, and uh, navigate, you know, with a tray or read the menu or not understand what the pricing is, you know. So we really wanted to give the experience so that we could then go back to Glendale, sit down and have a discussion because that was always part of the program is to come and do a, a postmortem and say, okay, 
what did you see? What did you experience? What did you hear? What are some of the conversations you had? Uh, what was the best thing that happened to you in the day? And I mean, and we we had some of these, uh, you know, of our, our colleagues there at Imagineering who hadn't had an opportunity to, to literally play in the park because they've been so project driven for, for so long that the, sim- uh, the simplicity of a meet and greet, you know, mm-hmm. was the highlight of their day. They're like, I can't believe that uh, the kid in front of me got a hug from Winnie the Pooh. And you're like, oh, and that meant something to you. And they're like, well, I just never, you know, stopped long enough to see how emotional that was for the parent because I was standing in line waiting next. And I, you know, it was creating those kind of opportunities. Um, I've kind of branched off into, you know, some other topics, no, but, that's great. I- but, but relating back to the importance of, you know, if you have had the opportunity to work in the parks in some capacity um, and at some given point you choose to go into a related field, I'm not saying Imagineering, just a related field where you're caring for people and you're having to, you know, express empathy over situations outside of your own bubble, you know, um, it, it's helpful to know that, hey, it was hot out. There wasn't enough shade. There wasn't a place to sit. Uh, the drinking fountain, I couldn't quite, uh, or it wasn't working, or it, uh, or just in general, it's like, you know, people really enjoyed standing over there and listening to uh, the Dapper Dans. And, you know, it's, it's all of these perception things that play into that later and also um, become part of, uh, you know, what you can do as a stage director, a film director, a costumer, you know, all these different disciplines of the entertainment industry um, have application in these kind of things. So at a younger age, it doesn't have to be a younger age, it can be any age. But at a younger age, when you have the the ability to go down some random little paths and maybe take a month or two or a year to uh, to go and it, it, you know experience something, go work at a theme park. You know, go go see what it's like to to have to care for somebody who's having a difficult day. You know, see why that person in the wheelchair might be a little frustrated that they couldn't find a spot in the curb to go down. I mean, there's been a lot over the years to to address those kind of things, but you start to pick up on all of that when you're surrounded by it all the time and then you start you know well i shouldn't say everybody but you start to come up with solutions to these matters because you can see what's happening but it's not just a matter of i feel bad because i feel like i'm saying you know look for the problems to fix it's not that it's look for the things that work and continue to also you know perpetuate the things that are good and positive and uh you'd mentioned briefly the couple of years as chief creative officer at Evermore and every single night that the park was open, you know, I'm in there driving uh, direction on story with all the actors, but uh, in real time, but at the same time, I'm also looking for every uh, single detail that's working with the performers, with the paths, with the lighting, because it's not just a matter of, oh, it's too dark over here. Let's get more light. It's look at the light over here. This is where they're all congregating. Let's get some more actors over here. Yeah. It's, it's looking for all of the ways things work and seeing how people react to them. And especially if it's a positive reaction, finding a way to continue to allow that uh, euphoria to exist each night, each day, uh, you know, just being observant. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's a really great way to I I want to choose my words carefully here because I, I don't want it to sound like, you know, they don't care. But I, I think the opportunity for Imagineers to go into the park and look at it through different eyes, it's mm-hmm. a, a li- it's almost the difference in what you might see in app design, right? Like there's UI, there's UX, and then there's the code, mm-hmm. right? The coders aren't necessarily going to know about the experience, but when it comes to UI and UX, those are the people that are going to be able to mm-hmm. give you the feedback and say, you know what, this works great, but what if we did it this way? Or what if we enhanced it by doing this? Or what if we just swapped these two things? Like, uh, it, it's not to say that what was created was bad necessarily. It's just that when you're not there experiencing it on a daily basis, you don't have that compare and contrast to work with. You just know right. what you imagined and how you envisioned it to begin with. Yeah. And I mean, something that might be a shock to some people is in the professional field, I'm not talking about our specific topic. I'm just talking about in general. Um you know, not everybody's always a fan of what it is that they're doing. Sometimes a job is just a job, right? But when you are a fan of what you're doing and when you do have a passion for it, it shows. It, it comes out in, in what you do and, and what you develop. And, and, you know, for me, it's like I, I love theme parks. I, I almost said Disney theme parks. That's kind of a given. Actually, I love theme parks and amusement parks. And I feel like that shows, you know, my biggest mentor at, at Imagineering, huge fan of, of things also, and, and would always opt for playing in a park and doing something inside the park as entertainment as opposed to an alternative. You know, and, and that kind of, that comes out, you know, when you're writing a story or you're, you're designing a space or you're thinking about, you know, uh, angles of the show or whatever, if you are already a a consumer yourself because you love it, uh, I feel like w- what you produce uh, shows it, it it comes across. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that a lot, especially. Uh, and oh man, I'm gonna get at it so hard on this one on on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> but uh, I've seen that a lot with like some people in the Disney community where they're doing it more to quote-unquote get famous versus mm-hmm. because they really enjoy what they're doing or what they're talking about and it's clear you know when when it's a money grab versus just uh you know i'm doing this for the love of it type thing you know ha- yeah. hashtag not sponsored <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, hashtag no comment from me because boy <laughs> i don't want my phone to light up um i, I want to go back a little bit to to what you talked about as far as the trajectory when it comes to getting into imagineering because yeah. you're right when it comes to something like animation i know when i was going to school i with all my heart and soul wanted to be a 3d animator and one day work for Pixar or DreamWorks or one of those companies that, you know, produce those 3d films. And Mm -hmm. over time, my likings changed. Uh, I knew that I loved music. I knew that I loved art. I knew that I loved editing. And I thought, man, I should do like video editing. I really like this whole like media production, you know, side of everything. Uh, But I wanted to be in control. And so that's kind of where I was like, I don't want to work for that anymore. And, uh, Sure. You know, when when you talk about what Imagineers or where they come from, uh, I know that Imagineering has like initiatives in place, like first girls who code Imagineering in a box. There's there's all these initiatives put in place where 
people can get an idea of what the trajectory is or what some of the things they should be learning or the styles of things they should be learning because uh, Imagineering doesn't seem to be like it's not doctor or lawyer or you know any particular yep. profession when you go back and you look at even the early Imagineers that Walt brought on Harriet Burns Herb Ryman mm -hmm. John Hench Claude Coates Dick Irvine Exitensio I mean, all of these original Imagineers came from all walks of life. You know, they were special yep. effects. They were lighting artists, concept artists, model makers. But even in those early phases, I would say that the trajectory that set them into motion was was uh, film. You know, it was the idea of, of, of Hollywood. And that plays a lot into why Walt called everybody cast members and why he sees everything as a full production, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about your mentor at Imagineering. Um, who was your mentor or who would you say like the, the top few people that mentored you were? Oh, well, I would say my, my, my number one mentor has always been in, uh, Tony Baxter. Um, and then I've considered many to be, you know, mentors in, in professional capacities over, over the years, Joe Rohde, uh, Tim Delaney. And, uh, um, but you know, the, the person that I, that uh, I've spent the most time, I would say, learning from um, in the past as well as even in the current is, is Tony. Uh, there was a there was a point in time. This was several years ago. I referred to. Oh, okay. Now that I know what it is, I know I can't talk about it. Dang it! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, but it, but uh, I had I had referred to him as my mentor, and then when we weren't in a public setting uh, with, with the, the, this other business unit of the company, um, he took me aside and he said, you are the mentor. Um, he said, uh, he says, I've taught you, uh, you've listened, but when you go into these other business units, it is time for you to become a mentor. It is time for you to bestow knowledge to them. And I said, I understand what you're saying and I appreciate that. I said, but I also want you to know that I consider that I will always be learning something from you. Um, so, I mean, so for me, it was a personal approach, but for him, he was trying to say in a professional environment, like stop trying to hand it over to me in, in, in the work environment, you know, take some ownership and bestow some knowledge that you've gained upon people who are now seeking it. Would you say that that's been, the best piece of advice non-disney or disney related that he ever gave you i would say it's one of the most valuable pieces of advice yes yeah i i can't i can't say that it is the you know right up there because i mean i i, I think life is learning constantly yeah. sort of even with what i said about photoshop earlier right don't ever think that you've mastered this always be in pursuit always be learning uh, John Hench, John Hench, you know, he's in his nineties. He's showing in, up every day at Imagineering and he's taking Photoshop classes. Wow. And, uh, I think it was the Photoshop instructor at Imagineering who asked him, you know, uh, why are you doing this? I mean, you, you're a, you're a master of your craft. You can pick up a brush. And, and he said, he said, if this is the new paintbrush, I want to know how to use it. Wow. And it's like, oh, you know what? Why even question it? You know, he's in his nineties. It's not a matter of what am I going to go and produce in Photoshop? It was all about the, wait a minute, there's still something for me to learn. Yeah. I'm not going to shut the door on, on the ability because, you know, you're, you're, you crave uh, knowledge and, and information at all times. Yeah. So back to the Tony thing is like, yes, that is probably one of the greater things that he, that he has 
said that was influential, but uh, I, I feel like there have been a lot of things. And I mean, even from others that I mentioned, like, you know, R Rody had, has bestowed many things that have made me go, okay, you're right. I should have totally turned the world on its edge and thought about that. You're right. It's just, you don't crave, crave the ability to always be willing to learn something. Don't ever think that you are better than, you know, anybody around you. Yeah. And I don't just mean like these people are, you know, in my effort to be part of the themed entertainment industry, I'm standing on their shoulders. They're standing on the shoulders of, of the others. But I also don't think that comes with age. I, I, I think, uh, you know, there are there's knowledge that comes from all directions in all aspects and in, in all diversities of life. And you just have to be willing to to understand and be willing to listen. Yeah, I think that's been something that I've learned uh, over the past decade that uh, regardless of where some of this advice is coming from, you just have mm. to be willing to listen and be willing to not stop learning because as the world yeah. progresses, you're either going to progress with it or you're going to be left behind. And we see that with things oh, like man, social so media apps, right? Like yep. half of the people that are on Facebook don't know how to use Instagram and half of the people on Instagram don't know how to use TikTok because they refuse to jump from one to the other, yep. you know, because they just don't want to learn something new. And uh, I, I know that there was a point um, where somebody that was just starting off photography a long time ago uh, was was showing me something. And I thought, man, that's so much easier than the way that I've been doing it. And I modified the way that I was doing it, you know, in accordance to what I learned. And uh, along with that, I realized that, you know, knowledge is free. You know, you should mm -hmm. you should be in a state where if someone is willing to learn, like, don't be a jerk, like pass the knowledge on. You should teach that Heck yeah, because man. those are the people that are going to continue a legacy that was originally built. And that's one thing that I, I, I constantly, I don't want to call them arguments. I'm going to call them heated discussions with some people about where they're like, well, I learned how to do this. It's like, so who cares if they don't learn it from you, they're going to learn it from YouTube or a book or something else. And yep. then you're just going to be a jerk, you know, because you don't want to share knowledge. So totally. for the most part, if somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, you know, how did you take this photo? What did you do? I'll tell them this, is what I did, this is what I edited. And you know, that's not how it came out of camera. I'll just be honest about it. But sure. yeah, it's that willingness to learn that you were talking about that's just super important. Well, and 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 you you talked about it. I mean, that you're right. There's there's two sides of that. It's a willingness to learn and a willingness to teach. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can you can have a, a wall put up by either of those sides, but when the when there's no wall between those two sides, that's when you have you know great you know advancements in in just art yeah yeah <laughs> art science every everything you know when, when you can break down those walls yeah i mean like you you said you know being able to to take some knowledge and and I'll put your spin on it because hey this is how you need to apply it or this is how you see it um there's nothing wrong with that at all i mean i the the early days of of you know that photoshop 2 and introducing it at work uh th there was no such thing as a digital production unit and it was up to me to say well what if we tried to do this kind of thing and and for me it was never like because this is what i learned in school and this is what mm -hmm. you have to do it was it was i think maybe if we try this we might get the look we're going for and to have 
you know, carpenters or scenic artists uh, or art directors who are on board with you to be able to say, yeah, okay, let's see what that looks like. And then together you all take a step forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there has to be a willing. And I, I think that's part of the reason why I really liked what you said about that program that you started where you took the Imagineers and you walked around mm-hmm. the park because there there was that separation, you know, that you created. You created that wall, mm-hmm. but then you broke the wall down and you were able to see everything from both sides of the wall. And yeah. it's that experience that it just makes you better at what you do if you're willing to pay attention to it and not see it as, oh, they're angry at what I'm doing or they're criticizing my work. You know, think of it as real honest yeah. criticism. And how can you use that to advance yourself and what you're doing? Yeah, well, you know, even in that program, there were the, the whole thing was based on, you know, we, we did a pamphlet that was based on suggestions for the day. And although we had some timelines broken out for when things needed to happen, such as lunch or leaving, um, there, it was mostly suggestions. You weren't going to be penalized if you didn't do certain things, but it was, you know, go do this. So one of those, excuse me, one of those things that um, ended up being important that a lot of people would look at on the brochure and go, I don't know about that, was um, quiet time, go sit on a bench somewhere and just observe. And, you know, the initial, you know, perception of that is, I don't want to be a creeper. I was like, no, 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 we're not saying be a creeper. We're saying, sit down, listen, what do you hear? What do you smell? And when we would do that post-mortem lunch a few days later back at, at the offices, um, a lot of times the majority of discussion would come from, those chunks of time when people stopped and let the silence, you know, kind of come into their own brain and they started to observe and they started to see, I saw this elderly couple that were holding hands, walking down main street. It was the cutest thing ever. And you go, you're like, great. That's exactly 100% what we wanted you to see. Yeah. That's not just the, you know, Oh, you know, how neat it's a, that's exactly why we needed you to take a breath and just relax for a moment so that you could see all these beautiful moments taking place all around you. Yeah. My co-host and I uh, have constantly said that one of our favorite things to do is to sit down somewhere on Main Street uh, or somewhere in front of City Hall and just people watch and just soak mm-hmm. everything in. The sounds, the sights, the smells. Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, because it reminds us that we're what we always considered like a safe place, right? It was our happy place. It was the bubble that was created that shut us out of the real world, which is exactly what theme parks are meant to do. But also, it's important to have those moments of silence because you can't run an entire day on nothing but adrenaline. Like you have to come down at some point or else yeah. it creates like moments of anxiety because no one's ever coming down from the high, you know? So having the ability to sit yeah. down and enjoy the surroundings is super crucial, I think, to theme park design in general, but just the experience of being in the parks to begin with. Well, and I mean, you're right. I mean, the, there's a lot about this wanting to drive the day on adrenaline. And that is how, you know, a lot of people do uh, prefer to do it. And that's fine too, uh, especially when you're trying to maximize everything. But when there's, there's so many other little facets of it, of it to gain. And, um, you know, like uh, uh, there's, there's night blooming 
stuff in in Disneyland, you know, that that I associate directly with with Disneyland. And and if you're if you're running at top speed, you know, you may or may not notice it. But if you stop, you know, you can say it's like this night blooming flower at the entrance of Adventureland. You know, it's like this only happens for a little span of time each night they're also in the jungle cruise in, in some areas as well uh night blooming jasmine that's another thing i associate with with disneyland in particular even though it's a common thing you can get anywhere else but now if i smell that type of a flower somewhere out in the world i'll go oh that's like disneyland around 8 p.m yeah, i love it you so know cool. um but but those are the details that you go hey uh this is that this is that happy place this is that that bubble this is the you know you associate it with something positive. Mm-hmm. At least I hope you do. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the beauty of, of, I think, themed entertainment in general, not just, not again, not just Disney. And that's why I say I love theme parks and amusement parks and things like that. I think there's so much about escapism that can, that can uh, provide, you know, a, a release from our troubles of the world in an ideal setting. Yeah. Um, and I, and Disney tends to, to provide a lot of that ideal setting, I believe. I agree, because Disney tends to design for all five senses, not just uh-huh. for, you know... Yeah, the best projects really do. Yeah, and, and that's what really differentiates, you know, Disneyland from, you know, something that... Uh, a theme park that's full of roller coasters. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I'm, I love roller coasters. I seek those thrills, you know. But... I do, too. There's a place for that, though. I mean, exactly. There's a total and and uh, and I and this isn't a jab. This is meant as a compliment. But I mean, for Southern California, you know, the the main roller coaster park would be Magic Mountain, mm-hmm. at least for me. Um, is it as clean as Disneyland? No. Uh, does it have as much you know theming around every corner? No. Although some areas have improved and some are little gems. And but at the same time, I'm like, but hold on, that's Magic Mountain, mm-hmm. and I love Magic Mountain. And I have my favorite roller coasters there, and I have my favorite parts of the park. So whenever people, you know, would 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 go after something like that, and I've had people like, you know, try to diss on uh, knots and stuff. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, Ghost Town is beautiful. Yeah. I love that place. And oh, go get yourself some chicken, and you know, all these kind of things. It's like there's so much you can love and enjoy. When I when I came up to Utah, I would have people uh, say, well, you know, we've got Lagoon, uh, which is you know an amusement park here. And they they would almost like uh, apologize for it, you know. Eh, well, it's not like Disneyland or anything, but it's you know it's got some fun rides and stuff. And I'm like, I love Lagoon. I think that place is awesome. It it's not Disneyland. Great because Disneyland is Disneyland. Yeah. Knots is Knots. Magic Mountain. I Lagoon is Lagoon, and I actually really like that park. So it's like you know you don't have to make yeah. apologies that it's not uh, a Disney level or a you know a, a Universal with harry potter you don't have to you can find things that are equally as creative and enjoyable at, at almost all of these places you can find it at a miniature golf course i mean if you really Easily. tried yeah yeah uh, yeah and you know i've always found that to be important like my one thing that i've discussed heavily with a lot of people is why i don't push disney harder on my kids and the answer that I give is because it's not my place. You know, I can, they're too young to make up their mind about stuff. You know, that's why I don't put them in my vlogs. That's why I don't push this stuff. Can I buy them Disney related items? Of course I can. Can I show them the shows? Can I get them Disney plus? Can I put them in a position where they themselves in the future can make up their mind? Absolutely. 
But the thing about yeah. life is that you can't bring something to the table if you haven't experienced anything outside of that. Yeah. And having the opportunity to experience other parks like other things. And I, I remember when we first started the podcast, uh, we, we talked about way more stuff than just Disney. Um, since then, we've kind of become more Disney centric. But uh, man, I got comments all the time. It's like, why are you talking about Magic Mountain? Why are you talking about Knots? And why are you talking about DC? It's like, because that's life, man. You can't. Because I love that yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, that's life. Those are the things that I enjoy. And I'm going to keep talking about it because that's how the world works. Like, the world is not 125% Disney all the time. You need the additional experiences to bring something else to the table, to put your spin on it. Well, and. And, and again, it gives you contrast. And, and I'm not talking about good and bad. I'm talking about contrast, you know, different views and opinions. And at least personally, I feel like, you know, the things that you, you love, it makes those things even sweeter oh, when yeah. you have something to compare 100%, it to. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Uh, we actually just <laughs> we were joking in this week's episode about technical issues at the beginning of the podcast. And we're saying, look, sometimes you just have to appreciate the times that we don't have technical issues to appreciate the times you know, or the times that you that you don't so that you appreciate the ones where, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm going in circles. But you know I know what, what you mean. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, and on, on a global level, I'm, I'm hoping right now that I'm hoping right now that we are, you know, experiencing something that makes us appreciate the, the good. Oh, I mean, you know, right now we've, yeah. we've had our, we've had our lockdowns, we've had our social distancing, we've had our, you know, the things that are in play now that are an inconvenience to us, I'm hoping will will give us an appreciation, not just for things in the past, but when when certain levels of normalcy come back on on different aspects that it'll make us uh, a little bit more appreciative and grateful for, for those kind of things. Oh, yeah. I could tell you that in the time that we've been locked up, um, I will never take a hug for granted again. Just having the opportunity yeah. to walk up to a family member or a friend and just give them a hug to say hello, I will never, ever in my life take that for granted again. Yeah. You know? So it's it's the simple things. Perfect example. Yeah, simple things like that. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about Evermore. When you decided to leave Imagineering, uh, what was it about the Evermore project and Evermore Park that you know, that, that made you want to take that step in your career. And, and if you can explain a little bit about what Evermore Park was or is rather. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. The, I mean, it's obviously a very complicated answer that I will simplify um, because I was with Imagineering for 21 years. That's a long time to be with, uh, um, you know, a big uh, a tentpole operation and then to suddenly, you know, up and leave. Um, to be 100% honest, at the end, uh, by that 21-year mark, it was actually about the 20-year mark, um, I wasn't sure exactly where I was going. Mm. Um, there, were, there were opportunities that I had pursued that I was turned down from uh, or I was discouraged from pursuing, and um, I was placed into uh, other divisions, other departments, uh, not by my request, um, but, you know, giving it the, the best I could to say, okay, uh, if you believe that this is the kind of support you need from me, but it not quite working. So for me, it was more of a, I'm not exactly sure where my trajectory is right now. So when an opportunity came along, which, which is Evermore Park, uh, well, which was uh, under development in Utah, 
I at least looked at it and went, okay, interesting. Uh, and then there was the opportunity to try something new. So it wasn't, it wasn't try something new as in new company. It was try something new for the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, uh, um, I, can, I can honestly say my perception of what was being pursued forevermore was different than what was actually happening. Um, the what was being proposed uh, was a more of a, a, a leisurely garden park, which is fine. I think that as a backdrop is beautiful and and, and wonderful, and that and I loved that. Um, a setup in a in a uh, medieval esque type of a hamlet village, uh, and then the the for me coming in and being able to say now I'm going to put the story over the top of this and the new that I'm talking about was creating an experiential type of thing. We had talked about in so many aspects with Disney, um, every single company has something on those lines that they have been pursuing for a long time. It's not new. It's just the tools that we're using are new. Mm -hmm. Uh, Technology is starting to factor in trying to hide technology, you know, is, is, is a fun challenge. Um, uh, Knotts does Ghost Town Alive, which is kind of an experiential type of thing, uh, or, or is an experiential thing. Um, the Harry Potter, you know, with Universal, definitely, you know, in terms of placemaking and treating it, you know, like that environment. So the idea that with an Evermore, I could take an 11 acre stage and create living theater, no attractions. Like the attractions are literally the characters in the park. Mm. The you know, the, the elves and the goblins because it was a fantasy realm. Yeah. Um, and in uh, the idea of creating a place that was meant to be very literally what it was at uh, the, the um, uh, I think it was the first or second meeting I had with the guy who was creating the place. Um, I said, Oh, so you want to create like a West world, you know, cause in my mind, that's where I went with it. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, you're going to go someplace you want to believe it's that you want to dress like it. You want to say you're that the characters there believe you are that you believe, you know, Westworld. That's my take on it. And his initial response to me was, was actually uh, quite poignantly. No, oh. no, no, not Westworld. And I went, Oh, because in my mind, that's where I had gone, yeah, at least from a creative standpoint, I'm like, Oh, okay. Not Westworld. Um, and then in a, in a, meeting with potential investors later, um, he actually used the term Westworld with them. He says, think of it like Westworld. And I went, oh, okay, I guess it is. Kind of like, I guess we're going to go, okay. Um, but uh, that, and again, that's the new I was talking about is, hold on a second, from the ground up, creating something with the intent of it being experiential in a living theatrical environment. Um, also with my theater background, all of that, I'm like, this sounds intriguing so that's on both sides of it there's the okay i was feeling like i wasn't necessarily progressing into a next step um with my imagineering career at that point in time uh and then here comes this other opportunity in a market that uh, quite honestly i believe uh, utah to be a strong market uh, with uh, the amount of families mm-hmm. the amount of disneyland pass holders that live in this state you know is is remarkable I'm like, what a great market to build something for people to go and do. Um, and so my wife and I just decided, you know what, let's 
just take a risk. And it was exactly that. It was a risk. It was not a guaranteed thing. It's a, we're going to leave something that is tried and true and established for all these years. We're going to go to something new and scary. Ah, we're going for it. And so uh, uh, moved to Utah. Um, right about the time that they broke ground, uh, went through the process of the, the construction here on site, hiring up the, the team. They already had a um, head of creative studio, Logan Long, who was on a couple of seasons of Face Off, um, heading up all the creature fabrication, things like that, um, giving it a good uh, high quality uh, costuming department, you know, helping that continue to build up. Eventually bringing in, you know, auditioning actors. And then in uh, um, fall of 2018, we opened for the Halloween season. And it was every single night was an experiment fun. Yeah. But, but like I mentioned earlier, I was there every single night uh, with the exception of maybe two or three nights over the, the run of the, the first year um, because it was, okay, we open on this night. We did a, a party for uh, fan X, um, the, the comic convention here in Salt Lake. Um, we had rehearsed the actors to do certain things almost scripted, but keeping in mind with them that, you know, trying to let them know it's probably going to be a lot more improv. We just don't know because we haven't had an audience yeah. yet. And literally that first night lessons learned and started to make changes immediately. And it started to become more improv based. It started to uh, uh, pull a little bit more from a, from a D and D mentality. I, I haven't, actually played D&D. I know people just shook their fists at me for that, but <laughs> I haven't either um, if it makes you feel any better. So. <laughs> okay. Well, but but I mean, uh taking all of these different type of things and saying, you know, what if we apply it in this way and it started to become a living breathing world and and one of the things I'd always said since moving up to to um run the creative on the project was um I wanted people to believe they are who they want to be. Mm -hmm. um, um, I talked to some college classes and I've mentioned this on other interviews before, but you know, I'd, I'd ask people, I'd say, uh, how many of you have photos on uh, your social media that uh, you feel like reflects exactly who you are? You know, how many of you create an image, a persona online and, and they'd start to go, Oh yeah. And you know, you, you always have the one with the, the best smile that you can find or the, the costume or, you know, you're flexing, whatever it may be. We tend to, you know, put an image out there and I'd say, now how many of you actually believe with all your heart, you know, that that's who you are. And it's like, you know, okay. We all put the best, you know, image forward. I said right. at Evermore, if that's what you're putting out there, that's, who we believe is, is stepping through the door and it's up to you. I mean, you, you decide who you're going to be, who is the hero that's walking in the door that night and we will embrace it. We will embrace you. You get to be that. Wow. Uh, you, but the thing is you have to inform us, you know, you have to come in and go into our tavern and inform the bartender that you're here for requesting and he's going to help you along your way. And, and, our actors became so good at all of this. They did get to know people's names and, and it became this actively engaging type place. As we figured that out each step of the way, um, it became 
um, addictive for local audiences, which was great. I mean, you want repeat visitors, but we started to have, you know, not just repeat, but then people bringing their friends and bringing their friends. And yeah. so by the summer of 2019, when we were doing our season mythos, we were really at our peak with crowds increasing every single night. And um, it was all about, you know, coming and going on these adventures. And the reason I would have to be there with some of the other story people and, and my, my co-producer on the project with story and stuff is because things would happen on the fly that night. And we had never prepared for it. But the reason is because the hero of the story, which is the guest, introduced a variable. And we would have to be willing to rewrite it as fast as possible on the fly, wow. not physically writing it, but from a, from an intellectual yeah. standpoint. And, you know, and I'd get a little signal from, from one of the actors and we'd step off into the shadow and, you know, they would give me an, you know, Hey, um, I was just told that uh, so-and-so thinks I'm in love with so-and-so. And I would either have to say, uh, no, you're going to have to shut that down because I was already thinking about a year out mm -hmm. ahead of, of certain key technical story options or, it was interesting enough that I'd be able to say, you know what, we can work with that, play with it. Yeah. And that would happen like that. But then the very next day in the office, we're sitting down with those, you know, involved with story and we're going, okay, so last night, so-and-so had it introduced, they're in love with so-and-so. So let's find a way to reinforce it with this. And what they don't know is this person is probably going to die at the end of the season because they're ill. And you're like, oh, that's drama. And so that was what was fun and exhilarating about, you know, what existed with, with the park when I was there and in charge of creative was, was this active living, breathing world every single night. That's insane. I love it. Super fun. Just though. the idea that, I mean, there's so much yes anding going on in just how yes the execution and was happening. 100%. Yeah. I mean, trying to keep up with everything. It's, it, the live action role play aspect of it is just fantastic. I mean, yeah. it 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 takes the idea of, you know, an escape room or starring in your own production of something yep. without the cameras around you, you know, and just makes it come alive. How did you yeah. keep track of all the different stories as the guests came in? Uh <laughs> I I will say very unsuccessfully. Um <laughs> I mean, we we would have means of uh, we would encourage communication with the actors and obviously some are are a, a bit better at at that kind of thing than others, um, just in personality wise, right? Um, but uh, taking as much of that in, having them email as much in, especially if you know it was like, okay, I have got an entire evening to download, and we're like, can you write it down? And then keeping things you know tracked in that way. Um, there were there were really only two of us that were keeper of the keys, and the and the reason uh, for that is um, we would we like right when the park opened, we would go in and say this is red level information, and this isn't supposed to be talked about, but it will probably come out over the next six months. And by the end of the night, we would have guests that we referred to as world walkers. We would have guests talking about this thing, and we'd be going, hold on a second, this is red level. You guys, you weren't supposed to. And they'd say, it just came out. Oh. Like, okay. So, so as we started to figure out that that's, you know, the excitement of it all, you just can't contain it, right? It came down to literally two of us who were 
keeping all of the big, big, big story secrets, which is why they'd have to funnel so much through us. Um, and then between the two of us, we would have to aggregate some of these things that would come through. We would, we would have some things like we'd have uh, some people who would try to force story upon us within our own cast, but it happened. And I would have to actually be, you know, bad enough <laughs> to say, you're right. You had that conversation tonight. It didn't, it didn't happen. Erase it. And they go, no, 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 they're, they're going to come back. And I'm going to say that actually is in conflict with where we are going. And, and sometimes that stuff was happening on purpose. You know, you're like, no, 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 you're trying to, 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 to get your, you know, your, your 15 minutes yeah. in the, in the spotlight. But, but we had this bigger picture in mind but to be able to understand enough of that big picture playing forward to be able to accept some of those variables when they would come into play is what then I think became an addictive nature for the guests that continued to come in because they were truly influencing the story. Yes, there were things they needed to discover. Yes, they needed to find out. Yes, they needed to uncover. And not everything could get uncovered in one night, especially if we were holding things closer to the vest, like I said but that somebody could actually interact with a character in such a way that could influence what's happening the very next night was real. Wow. You know, that, that was actually truly a thing happening. The only, the only exception being is if it was so far off the rails that it would affect, you know, our, our longer trajectory. And I'd have to say, Nope, I'm sorry. We can't do that. It's like that moment in the book where it tells you, do you want to do this? Turn to page 14, or do you want to do this? Go to page yeah. 39, you know, yeah. in the choose your own adventure series. Well, or, or, you know, if, if, if I was wearing a radio on, on any given night, you know, having somebody from security coming on and saying, uh, I need your location. I'm being, Oh, great. What happened? It's like, well, so-and-so character, so-and-so has an important question. I'd be like, okay. And I'd be off, you know, running because it's a page turn moment. It's like, they need something to, they need right now because this guest who's probably out on a quest right now is going to be back within a matter of minutes and needs to know. And I needed to help. And I don't know. it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's, I can imagine. it's a really, really difficult business model to, to maintain i was gonna say maintaining that because you mentioned that it was a season so i i imagine that it was campaign based almost where at the end yeah. you know somebody won something or i mean did anybody ever win anything was there like we we would do we would do little micro contests oh, okay. where, where there would be winnings but uh uh in that in that first year of operation there was still a lot of like trying to find proper footing and uh and I believe even to this day, I, I don't, I'm not associated with them at all anymore. I believe to this day, they're still, you know, finding their footing. I would imagine. Yeah, That's a difficult uh, place to try to find your footing. And especially with how often the story can change. Yeah. Did in the time that you were there, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of the office, but Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, uh, he yeah. did improv on the show. Like, did you ever have anybody come in like, I got a gun. And then like would try to sabotage the whole story with like one line. Uh, yes. I mean, nothing, nothing as extreme as like with weaponry, so to speak, but, uh, we would definitely have, uh, those that would try to come in and, and sabotage something on that level early, early on that very first season when we didn't even know how much improv base this needed to be. 
Um, it was it was more stressful on the actors. They're like, I don't know how to react to this. By the time we rolled into the Christmas season of that year and we, we had really embraced it as more of an improv base, we just needed to be sure that we equipped them with the ability and the uh, the permission for the yes and. Yeah. So when things like that would come up, they at least felt comfortable enough about their character and the general story to be able to go with it um, because extremes did uh, happen. Where it would become difficult is uh, where we'd have a couple of situations where within the cast, you would have some ambition trying to hijack the story. Mm. And, and at that point, that becomes a little uncomfortable because that falls on somebody like me to have to pull this person aside and say, that was actually not approved. And, you know, we, we got to have you reel back on. You know, yeah. Intentions are good. Yeah. But when it comes from within, you're like, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. I don't know, Josh. <laughs> the court jester says that he found the scepter of power and he's the king now. <laughs> so how are you going to well, handle that one? <laughs> Yeah, but it, it, we would have things like that, and you'd be there. We 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 actually had a, a um, an election for mayor, which just kind of came about organically, originally through guests, and we decided to embrace it over several weeks to run a, an election. But even from the get go, it was you realize that you know we're talking with story team. We're like you realize at the end of this, somebody's going to have to be mayor. Yeah, like we're we're not just gonna kill them off you know it's, it's, it's like no, no no if we're doing this somebody and we're also empowering the guests to really influence the voting process uh because then you had characters campaigning amongst their factions within the park for for certain people and we we, we still wanted it to have fluidity to 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 actually be real, yeah. you know, not to be like, and at the end, it's going to be so-and-so <laughs> because that's what the story needed. We still wanted it to feel organic. Hey, like yeah. you really are making a decision. And I will say the, 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 the one that we felt like probably wasn't necessarily the obvious choice to win. It's kind of who we were hoping. And that's where the story went. That ended up being the person that won, which was just, happenstance i mean we, cool. we we're, we're i mean we would have rolled with anything at that point but still that came from you know things that happened from our world walkers that we just said sure mayor that sounds cool let's do it nice it's so funny because you know i don't know if you're a wrestling fan but the structure of how you were doing this on a daily basis feels very much how they try to make the pushes in wrestling as organic looking as possible when you're trying to get to a certain place with like a particular person becoming champion or whatever but you're leading the audience you know that's funny I've never, I've never equated it to wrestling. I mean, you say wrestling. I, for me, it's like I, I, my knowledge base is still like in the '80s, but, but I hadn't thought of it that way. But you saying that, you are right. It is that, and you are trying to push. And there are things that need to happen, and there's performance that needs yeah. to happen. But at the end of the day, it also still needs to be along a certain trajectory because there's another step waiting yeah. to happen. And, you know, and, and how much latitude can you have within that to allow something to happen? Yeah. So. And whether or not it clicks with people, that's where you have to call an audible and, and say, you know what, we're either going to change course now or, yeah. you know, we're going to deal with the booze later on. So, man. Yep, that is true. Super cool, yet so, so stressful <laughs> to think it, about. Yes. Uh, yes. Stressful is true. Um, uh, 
I, I'm trying to think of how much I want to say, but um, w- with that first season, like I said, when, when we were doing more that was scripted and we were trying to find how much improv we could handle, um, it was stressing out our actors because we did not audition strictly for improv. We, we auditioned for a lot of different uh, things. And as we were progressing through the season and improv was becoming more and more important, um, I didn't realize that I was stressing out uh, so many of the actors. Um, some of them embrace it because the improv is, is very much their strength and it was comfortable for them. But I didn't realize how much I was uh, causing stress upon mm-hmm. those who relied heavily on scripting and blocking. And here I'm saying, uh, um, no, I know that uh, we wanted you to be this tonight, but uh, if you could actually shift it in this direction and if you could end up on that side of the park, uh, that would be helpful because we're having less people over there, but we need them to drive towards archery. So if you could, you know, you know I'm, I'm having them change up on the fly. And it was on our closing night, we had these, uh, we had these champions that were going through and doing these questing. And I mean, there was, it was a really big to do. And uh, one of the people we had involved after we closed that night um, ended up going to the hospital, obviously found out after the fact, because uh, they were having such a high level anxiety attack oh, from, wow. from the responsibility of the evening. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're feeling horrible because we, you know, we're not even thinking about the fact that that the 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 improv nature and the non-scriptedness and the on the fly and in your face and people and cameras and we didn't realize it was causing so much stress on on you know an individual who's not used to that kind of a process. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the, the the person is is fine and they're you know, very much yeah. a professional. And but but still, that was it was something for us to to sit back and go, okay, if this is the direction we're going if we are actually going to be doing things on the fly night by night, the people that are coming in the door have to know right up front. And that became part of, you know, even in the audition process of, of making sure that people know, and, and I would be there at every rehearsal and everything and just always reiterating with everybody, you know, I know that there's excitement. I know that you're agreeing to this, but please understand if there's a level of discomfort with, you know, this kind of improv and in your face, uh, it's best to to let it be known now, especially as we're in character development, so that we don't, you know, have you interacting four hours straight with somebody as you're having a an anxiety attack. Yeah, and, yeah that that would be intense, especially how often it was changing like that. But yeah. I mean, it it really feels like that's kind of where the theme park industry is going now. You know that. That almost like mm-hmm. that live action role play, that I- immersive experience. You know, I people say that it kind of started with Cars Land, and I I agree with others that say that it really started with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter because Cars Land put you in the scenario of being on Route sixty six with these other characters. You weren't mm-hmm. necessarily doing anything to affect the world around you, but at the Wizarding World, you're purposely waving a wand and you're doing things that actively change things mm-hmm. around you and so you know now we have you know uh batu galaxy's edge and we're getting avengers campus you know mm-hmm. uh do you think that disney as a whole and other theme parks will embrace that and begin to morph into that type of park in the future well okay so let me let me say regardless of my titles in the past 
I can only speak on this from a from a matter of opinion. Of course, of course. And and I say this out of respect for my past colleagues who are on these projects. I don't want them to think that I'm that I'm you know giving an an official opinion oh, to their, their their hard work. Um, but uh, I mean, yes, I do believe that there's a lot of effort that's pushing towards these directions. I do believe that there is um, it is correct in that term. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of VR pop up. Uh, in a public space, which I know is very difficult to figure out how to do in in a pandemic or even post-pandemic uh, when you're talking about hardware. But, I mean, even Steve Jobs, before he passed away, had mentioned the importance of the direction of augmented reality. I feel like this is more of that kind of a realm. Um, I, augmented reality, we tend to to think in a technological term. You know, I think about what I can do with my phone now and and things like that from an augmented reality stance. But I think augmented reality also goes into the, uh, the play acting space. Um, you know, 42 Entertainment has created many amazing experiences for, um, um, for different film promotionals, as well as a Comic-Con that are more in the ARG space, uh, not necessarily always relying on hardware, but relying on make-believe, relying on your imagination. Mm -hmm. So as we talk about, you know, the, the likes of the, the mainstream industry and, and whatnot, um, it, it, you know, I believe that is going to become more and more embraced. There are, um, there are restrictions that prevent uh, some of the big players from taking uh, specific steps forward. And the restrictions are in place for good reason. There's safety, their health. There's, 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 um, you know, there are just certain things that, that we were able to tinker around with in the state of Utah because we didn't necessarily have uh, uh, the same uh, union restrictions on performance. And I'm not saying by any means of, of intentionally putting anybody at risk, but I just mean uh, there, are, there are things that might uh, prevent a, a, a Disney or Universal from going so far with a guest because at the end of the day, you just don't want somebody to sue you right. off of a misunderstanding. And that's, that's accurate. That's proper. Right. Um, I think as we continue to evolve around this type of mentality uh, and we figure out what those caveats are that allow engagements and, and interactions on, on a more personal basis, um, that's going to be the reality of the world around us. And part of that is hopeful thinking. I mean, you know, I've, I've tinkered with that in Evermore and I've seen how exciting it is to have, uh, you know, a thousand people all engaged in a single purpose on an evening of, of, of questing and, and sharing of information, not just with official characters, but with one another because it's important that you work together and you collaborate that's that's ideal for me. I want the world to go in that direction, but I do believe we are going to go in that direction. Uh, we talked a little bit about the you know the bitter and the sweet earlier. Yeah. You know, your your ability to appreciate a hug after our after we get through our pandemic uh, situations. I guess we, we could say. Um, I think one of the the potential byproducts of this in the themed entertainment space or the theatrical storytelling space is going to be our desire for human connection. Yeah. I think we, we as human beings from the beginning of time until now, I think human connection is important. Um, I, you know, even if you're the random person who wants to be the mad hermit of Chimney Butte and not interact with anybody at all, right? You can, I still think human interaction is a core basis of who we are as human beings. Yeah. And 
uh, from an entertainment standpoint, uh, I think there's going to be a, a desire to unlock and figure out how to allow us to interact with one another. I don't know what those solutions are. I mean, it's, it's baby steps, you know, it's, it's one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. But I just think we as core human beings are too important to one another. And this type of engagement experience uh, became addicting in that play space because going back to what I was saying, you know, who are you in your avatar to be able to say, uh, well, I don't have a really good life at home or at school. I'm not really that popular, but when I walk through the gates of any of these venues and I am perceived of as a hero and I am truly treated as such, Mm -hmm. I think that's what is probably more valuable. I think if we can figure out, I mean, now we start getting into topics of, you know, bullying and, and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, I, I think if we can create idyllic spaces to treat one another altruistically, that's going to become uh, the, the next big wave of entertainment and fiery wave of addiction of entertainment. Yeah. We're all going to end up in the Oasis with uh, there you go. <laughs> with other characters from Ready Player One. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I completely agree with everything that you're saying because, uh, like like you said, humans are social beings, and regardless of how introverted or extroverted you are, uh, having I mean, you don't even have to touch anybody. You could just be in the vicinity of another person, and there's an energy that that the other people give off that just makes you, in a way, feel safe. If that makes any sense, like you, you know, you're connected to something else in the world. But, but also, I mean, as, as the human animal, it, it, it works adversely that way as well. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, Hey, something doesn't seem right about that person. Do they need help? Do I need to stay away from them? I mean, I, I have no logic of it. I just know that, you know, we, we do have some understanding and connection to each other yeah yeah it's the the entire notion of intuition in general right whether it's yeah. good or bad it's it's that notion of intuition you know going back to the direction that theme parks are taking uh, or what you perceive as the future of the theme park industry obviously you don't want to go full-blown vr because you have to be sensitive to people with photosensitivity issues you know you don't want to cause like seizures or something if they're putting on goggles post-covid you don't want to be in a situation where people are sharing the sets of these vr goggles or whatever the case is and possibly transmitting something like that from your experiences or from what you know when things are being designed is there ever a balance that you try to strike that doesn't hit the uncanny valley of how it makes people feel or because you're primarily dealing with characters that don't fully look human to begin with, like Anna and Elsa at Frozen Ever After or Hondo Onaka, for instance, uh, is it not something that's thought of when attractions are being designed? No, I would say it's definitely thought of it. It's an individualistic design thing though. I mean, I've been a part of teams where, you know, that can be a conversation and it's a conversation that is, is explored and you try to troubleshoot. And I've been on other projects where that's more of a nuisance and we don't have the, the time and the, the money to, to really uh, um, bother with that kind of, you know, thing at, at 
the moment. It's it, it's a case by case, especially with I mean, you you talk about you know shows that have very or attractions and shows that have uh, very specific characters. I mean, that becomes um, a driving force behind that. But when it's a supporting character like Hondo, I would say is supporting in the sense of you know you've got the main attraction itself and though you may be getting some voiceover when you see that that audio animatronic figure um in the queue i mean that is an impressive figure but it's also a figure you see once and then it's an introduction of hondo and you see him on screen and you hear, hear him later you don't revisit that character again yeah in in that way so i it, it's a case-by-case thing and, and especially going to you know whichever leader is on your project um as to whether or not that's important also realize I mean, there's the the thing that that so many of us don't like to address. It's uh, finance. Mm -hmm. It's um, okay. Could we put all of our efforts into this and make it the most amazing, most realistic, uh, incredible thing you've ever seen in your entire life? Yeah, actually, there are enough smart, big brains out there, especially that work in in these design firms that can solve for all that. But at the end of the day, you also have to say, there's a price tag that comes with how far you're going to pursue that. Right. Um, and is it worth taking part of that price tag from this area for that area? And then you multiply that out. I mean, this is, this is part of where my, my director's mind comes into play. You, you know, where you start to say, how long are people in front of this character? Uh, what's the information they're receiving? What are the other items in the room that they're also looking at? Um, and, all of that starts to factor in percentage wise as to, you know, would you actually spend X amount of dollars on just that character's introduction performance? I'm not talking about anyone in particular. Yeah. I'm giving you a, an, an overall, but uh, would you, would you put all of your eggs into that basket knowing very well that people only spend 30 seconds with said character and they're actually stimulated by other information at that exact same time? Yeah. There are a lot of times, and again, I, I did preface that by saying that's my the director side. That's my theatrical side. Right. That's where I'm thinking right. of staging and lighting and, you know, what's the choreography and the, the blocking that's happening on stage because you start to realize that uh, the ensemble costumes can actually not be as detailed because so much focus is going on in the spotlight over here, that kind of stuff. And and there's also a proximity issue, right? Like if you're not right in front there of There is it, a proximity, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah 100% because because the uh, not everybody has the exact same experience. There's obstructed viewings. There's all that kind of stuff with any of these. Not every single creative-driven uh, person, creative director, creative producers necessarily approaching things from the same angle. And that's why I go back to the individual project kind of a thing. You can, you can tend to see uh, somebody's um, flair or style. Um, it, I mean, that's definitely true for film, you know, or soundtracks. You, you, you can associate, you know, this person's really good at da, 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 da. Or, you know, they tend to give a lot of focus to the, the camera angles here. Same in theme parks, you know, uh, somebody's strengths might be in, in one area with one property, one, uh, you know, intellectual property or, or one style, you know, whether it be, you know, a stage show with proscenium or if it's a dark ride element where you're, you know, locked in a vehicle and you have, uh, you know, certain um, POV and you know, for those that really study and, and look at theme parks, especially for an, 
for some of the bigger theme parks like at Disney and things like that, you can start to identify and go, oh, yeah, that's a totally so-and-so type of attraction mm -hmm. because you find similarities. You should start to realize that they put more emphasis on the character than they did on the background. Or, I mean, you know, you go back as far as, you know, Haunted Mansion and you go, uh, you know, was it a was it Mark Davis uh, who was at the forefront or or was it uh, – um, Claude Coates, yeah. you know, doing, you know, if it, if it were any of these one, you would see what the, the emphasis is. Um, you look at a Mark Davis, I mean, as being one of those primary examples and you look, you know, country bear jamboree, what was important characters front and center, boom, character, 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 America sings, you know, character, character, character. But then uh, when you start to look at the collaborative efforts and when Walt forced some of these personalities to mash up, even if they didn't get along outside of work, yeah. You, you would get a more holistic experience like a Haunted Mansion or a Pirates of the Caribbean because uh, you had different talents actually being forced in. And that's not always the case. I mean, the, for you and listeners to know, I mean, the reality is we, again, are human beings. And sometimes you have a creative at the head of a project at any given organization. And, and it's that, that single vision is what's going to come out at the end. And it could be wonderful and it could be amazing or it could maybe not resonate, but uh, there's not like, you know, a secret sauce that everybody is forced to, to actually mix for every single thing. It's like when you have, you know, a creative team or a creative person driving a attraction, a show, an entire park, a company, um, you start to see those nuances and, and you start to see what, what is a success and what is a failure. Yeah. Sorry, uh, was that a lot? No, that was fantastic. That was, okay. uh, yeah, that was great. Um, we talk about this a lot because uh, we have a segment that we do occasionally called Armchair Imagineering. So we dedicate one episode to ripping down an entire land and, you know, talking about what we'd put in its place. And one joke that I've always said about the audio animatronics is that their eyes need to look squishy. If their eyes don't look squishy, they look soulless. <laughs> And uh, I remember seeing the audio animatronic that Garner Holt Productions put together of Abraham Lincoln and thinking, right. oh, my God, the facial expressions are astonishing on this thing. Like uh, the, the way that it was moving, the way that it just looked and functioned from a distance. If I was far enough away, I was like, man, that looks like a real dude. But then I got up close right. to it and I was like. Yeah, those eyes don't look squishy, man. That looks like an audio animatronic to me. <laughs> so well, I, I, it, it, for a lot of uh, attractions, I mean, really, audio animatronics should be more of a medium shot to a long shot, anyway. Right. Right. I mean, once you start getting those close-ups, you know, then you know, you're not fooling anybody. You don't have the squishy eyes, man. You don't have the squishy eyes. <laughs> man, Josh, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, I mean, you're the stuff with Disney Kingdoms. I want to talk more about Imagineering. Uh, I know you're a big Star Wars geek, so I want to talk Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. But I also want to be mindful of your time, and I appreciate that you've been chatting with me for this long. Uh, I would love to have you back on the podcast to keep chatting. Let's plan a part two for some for some that time. would be fantastic um so if we could wrap up this episode uh let's let's roll back to the imagineering aspect of everything uh you know th thinking about everything that we talked about the the non-trajectory versus kinder trajectory that there is to become an imagineer uh what piece of advice would you give to aspiring imagineers um my advice to aspiring Imagineers is to become the best at what you're, what you love, 
the reason I say that, and that is a very specific answer, is um, there are a lot of people who believe that there are finite doors that lead to Imagineering because it's a mysterious place and there's a lot of secrecy around Imagineering uh, for, for industry reasons of, of uh, technology and, yeah. you know, and opening dates and all that. But because of that, there is a lot of secrecy. There, there are resources out there. There, there are a lot more books now. There's uh, um, uh, Leslie's uh, Imagineering series on Disney plus. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, but, what you still might take away from that is, well, uh, okay, I better go and be the, be an architect. I better go and be an engineer. I better go and be, uh, you know, choose, you know, any of these things. Imagineering is 120 disciplines plus. I don't even know how many. It's just there are a lot of disciplines under that. And uh, it's best that whatever it is you love, you know, I mentioned costuming. If you love costuming and, and, and fashion and those kind of things, become the best at what it is. And you know what? Everybody's going to want you if you are the best, even, you know, like an Imagineering and, and whatnot. Um, don't get pulled down a false path of thinking, if I'm going to be an Imagineer because you're chasing a title, you're chasing a title, don't falsely go down to a road where your passion doesn't reside. You're going to be miserable for your entire life. You're especially going to be miserable if you don't end up in that titled area that you put so much of your life towards. So I just always try to tell, you know, students and everything, if there's something that you love, if you love writing, you know, practice your creative writing, become a great writer, become the best writer. If you love photography, become the best photographer. I, I am, a photographer by hobby. I mean, I can't even say to the level of things that you've talked about. I mean, for me, I, I just love taking pictures and they're for myself. Yeah. I just like it. I love the composition. I love, and then a few years ago I was asked if I would go and be the photographer at GM with the test track team that was doing the redo because the normal photographer doc for documentation had a conflict and couldn't go. This is not my skill set. This isn't even something that's on my resume. It was just, hey, we're just wondering if this is something you could go and do. And I'm like, sure, mm -hmm. question mark. And I mean, I'm glad that I was even asked because it wasn't normal. Yeah. But the attraction opens. And something I didn't know is of all these photos that I took, you know, thousands of at GM, they are in an entire section of the queue at Epcot. Wow, that's so cool. I didn't even know. It, 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 was, a, it was an online video of somebody going when the attraction was open, and, and I had to pause and go back and look. I'm like, those are my photos. I took those photos. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is don't chase so hard after something that you might not love because even something that is your hobby, if you're good at it, that's what you want to be doing. And you want to be doing that for your employer yeah it's the ability to say yes and to life right yep yeah be flexible yeah. you gotta be flexible a lot of people don't want to be flexible i can get on a rant right now about some of the headlines i see out there that have to do with inflexibility and i'm like you know what take a deep breath smell the the, the night blooming jasmine <laughs> the churros listen to the listen to the music 
relax, you know, be flexible. What a fantastic sentiment to end on. Uh, Josh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and how they connect with you. Uh, I, Shipley Land, I ripped that off from, from Walt himself. So if you, if you look up Shipley Land, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. That's kind of just how I, I tend to exist out there. And uh, some of those places like Instagram, you got you to gotta request to follow but uh, if you're a real human being, I don't mind, you know, ha- having you in my world as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you for allowing me to be a part of yours. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today, Josh. That's going to end today's episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed and I hope you took a little something from everything Josh had to offer. So until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Thank you.